Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Just Hands Poker Podcast. My name is Zach Resnick. And my name is Jack Lasky. And we're here to talk through interesting hands that come up in live, low-stakes, no-limit hold'em cash games. Our goal is to focus on one hand each podcast and do as thorough of an analysis as possible. Our first few episodes will feature hands Jack and I have played ourselves, but we hope to discuss hands listeners send us in the near future. So on to today's hand. This hand was played on Thanksgiving Day at the Horseshoe Casino, 1-3. It's actually not a hand I played, it's a hand that my friend was involved with. Some context about the players, my friend uh, looks pretty young, he's 22, he's dressed normally, he plays pretty tightly, but this villain wouldn't have known because he had just sat down at the table about an orbit ago. Villain is uh, probably around 50, he's wearing a collared shirt, he's not drinking, although it's, you know, keep in mind it's Thanksgiving Day, it's around 2.30 p.m., he was a regular. Uh, people at the table knew him. They were somewhat complimentary about his play in general. Uh, not specific scenarios that had taken place at our table, but uh, just talking to him as if he were a good player. Although, I tend to take that kind of thing with a grain of salt. Anyways, uh, I've seen Villain play one hand, not do anything out of the ordinary, didn't get to showdown. This hand, Villain is under the gun plus one. Uh, and he opens to eight. It folds around to my friend, the hero, on the button, uh, and he calls with ace-ten suited. So what are the effective stacks here? Effective stacks are about 275. Uh, The max buy-in is 300. Cool. Well, let's just talk about the preflop action real quick. Uh, Are you ever considering doing anything but calling there, raising or folding? Uh, I think... In position, with perhaps a heads-up pot coming, I'm more likely to flat here. Against an unknown player who's, you know, by his age, likely to be somewhat passive going forward, I think it, you know, also adds towards a call. So, yeah, I think flatting here is good. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I don't think we could really fold this. We're not particularly deep, but when someone makes it 8, um, it could really depend. They, they could make it 8 with the top of their range, um to try to get more calls. It, it doesn't really say much, but generally when someone makes such a small race size like that, it's probably going to indicate uh, a hand in the weaker part of their range. Okay. And, yeah, I, I don't think a player like this is likely open raising any worse aces, but I think in position against, you know, your average 1, 2, or 1, 3 regular, this is definitely a call if you feel like you have a post-flop edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. So the blinds fold. Pot is 18 to the flop. Uh, comes 10, jack 10, with no flush draw. So, you know, definitely a, a beautiful flop for Hero's hand. Mm-hmm. The preflop raiser decides to check. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're left with the decision to either check behind or make some sort of bet. My first instinct here is to to bet. I think his his range when he checks is probably to con- consist of sort of a lot of maybe made hands that don't see a lot of value betting that would likely call a bet or two from us. Maybe some total garbage that this guy maybe doesn't really uh, see by that much as a bluff. Mm-hmm. So hands that we're probably not going to see that, that much value from 
anyways. Maybe some monsters. Although, since we have a 10, uh, we're blocking some of those monster hands. But I, I could see Jax checking this flop. I, I can't really see uh, any larger pocket pairs checking this flop. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess... I, what about a 10? A 10? Jack 10, Queen Jack, anything. Jack 10 I could see checking, because I mean it just controls so much of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, queen 10, maybe, I don't know if we think this guy is opening Queen 10. Yeah. But, you know, it's definitely possible. King 10, 10, 9. So all these hands, you know, I could see... I could see villain checking, but I also could see villain betting. I think it's probably a good spot to bet. Get start getting value from a jack right away. I think we were saying before is right. Like he's, we don't know anything about this player. We don't know if he, you know, ever see bet bluffs. We don't know if he see bet bluffs. Like if he just does it indiscriminately, or if he does it with certain types of hands. But my, I think my default assumption here would be something similar to what you said, where it's like complete garbage that he doesn't see bet that he's planning on folding, and then small pocket pairs, and maybe like an ace-king, ace-queen that he's planning on calling one bet with but doesn't see much value in, in mm-hmm. betting. And then, yeah, the occasional slow play. Yeah, that sounds right. So, you know, given that the vast majority of his range is, you know, kind of weaker bluff catchers that were, you know, completely crushing... We definitely want to start to build a pot early. Um, It's unlikely against his checking range that we're going to be able to get three streets of value. But I think, uh, you know, against most players, especially when you're, you know, a younger kid and have the image that comes along with that, when it's checked to you in position in a heads-up pot, you're going to be given very little credit, at least on one one street of betting. Mm -hmm. So I think this is kind of a slam-dunk bet for value. And, you know, if there was dynamics at play where he had a particularly bluffy image or something, then I would bet bigger. But I would say probably just bet 10 here. I think a player like the one you described, even if he might, like, sense uh, your friend is up to something, uh, if you make a bet, like, 15, he could reluctantly fold a pair of fours, which is, we definitely don't want that. So I'm probably planning on betting the flop, and then depending on how we you know, calls the flop, likely checking back turn and betting river, because I think that's a line where we're going to be more likely to get two streets of value than if we just bet flop and bet turn. I agree, and I also like your sizing, because I think it sets us up for a more callable turn or river bet, depending yeah. on the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we, if, if, yeah, if you bet closer to the pot here, uh, and then want to continue your story... Which isn't necessarily... Yeah, that's obviously not a mandate. We could bet pot here and then bet a third pot if we think that's optimal. But I would say that, you know, betting 10 here, keeping villain skeptical with a wide range, and then uh, setting us up for a nice callable river bet to keep in, you know, whatever part of his range he's confident enough if if he doesn't believe us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... Hero decides to check. Uh, so, I, th- I mean, I think for all the reasons we listed, disagree with the play, but... 
Do you want to discuss any of the reasons why checking might be, you know, a good play, or at least a play that you would think of in the moment? Um, I mean, especially with the way that I play personally and the image that I have, I'm almost never slow playing anything ever. You know, it has to be kind of like a rare situation where it's like I have, you know, top full house on a paired board or something. So I'm personally almost never slow playing because I just find even without any history, the way that I as a young person am perceived at the table is like way, way more bluff heavy than is accurate. So it almost never makes sense for me to slow play. Um, And I think given what we've said about villain's range, it also doesn't make any sense to slow play in this spot. Uh, You know, I think a good time to slow play is maybe on like a, you know, let's say you, you like flop a set on a low board and you know that this player never bets all of his pairs and check folds all of his overs then maybe that's the time to check back the flop. But I don't think this is a spot like that. We don't know enough about Phelan's tendencies to make the kind of really specific exploitative read like that. And for the the reasons we described before, this is just like a a, a clear a clear bet. Mm-hmm. I guess one, you know, I don't think that, that Hero had enough information to make this kind of leap that I'm about to describe. Mm-hmm. But if you were confident that a lot of the... Left catching hands, you know, the lower pairs that villain could have here would be limped. Mm. Then I could see wanting to check behind if if you think that a lot of the hands he's checking here are going to be over cards, giving them a, just a chance to hit. Even then, though, I think because of you know the allure of over cards and the fact that you know any two over cards are going to have straight opportunities. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a bet, even in that case. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, you know, in this spot, we just don't have enough information. And I think given this flop, with the the way the betting went, you're right, there are some cases with a very specific type of player type where checking back might make sense, but this isn't one of them, and definitely the default play should be to bet. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that we haven't mentioned is, you know, if... If villain is slow playing a a ten, mm-hmm. then we might not get the opportunity to move stacks in if we don't bet the flop. Yeah, and that's the thing. So it's like his range is mainly, you know, hands that are just checking to give up and bluff catchers, but he does have some, you know, slow playing range of tens. Mm-hmm. Uh, against an average live passive villain, we have to assume that he's checking some percentage of his tens. Yeah. Again, I don't think he gets to the flop with that many tens. Like, with the player as described making an eight from early position, I don't think they have a lot of nine tens, jack tens, queen tens in their range. But, yeah. you know, again, we just don't have that much info. So there's definitely some small percentage of the time that he has a, a worse ten than us. Yeah. Very limited number of combos, too. Yeah. Uh, people do get trappy, though. I mean, not that there's any history between these two players, but... He might have been burned once or twice by, you know, a young gun like us and wants to get back in some small way. Yeah. Anyways, onto the turn. You know, the pot is still 18. And the turn comes 8, bringing a backdoor flush draw and some straight possibilities. Probably more for, I mean, almost certainly more for our range uh, than for his. Mm -hmm. Anyways, villain leads out 8. You know, it's up to us to act. 
my first instinct, having having already, I guess, decided to check, if villain is going to lead out on the turn, you know, he could be bluffing, but we should hope that he is betting the part of his range that, you know, maybe actually does want to build some sort of pot to get to showdown. Mm-hmm. And I think we should uh, raise to try and build that pot, you know, that's being started generously for us. Yeah, I I mean, I think that one villain bets 8, and to 18, he's very rarely bluffing. Mm. So, yeah. Um, question is, what do we think about his range here? Um, I'm inclined to think that if he was slow playing a 10, or, you know, slow playing jacks full, he would likely bet out a little bit bigger. I I would guess that most of his range here is probably like a under pair, maybe pair of eights, and then you know some small percentage of his his slow played hands given the sizing. Mm-hmm. So I, I still think the same kind of thing is true. I don't think he has any of those like complete air balls in his range, except maybe ace king. You know, a lot of live players never bluff except for with ace king. Also, some of his overcard hands probably turn a flush draw. Uh, he might lead out with those as sort of the only bluff type hands in his range. Or maybe he has some type of you know weird nine or. Yeah, yeah, that's. But he that's doesn't have many hands nines. in his range. Yeah, uh, nines and eights both make sense to me here. Yeah, and then definitely queens and kings. So I. Queens and kings. Do we think he's ever checking? The oh, flop? I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't think he's ever checking the flop with kings and queens. So his range here is still. You know, primarily composed of bluff catchers with some type of showdown value. And even though I think it's unlikely we'll be able to get, you know, a big raise and a call and a big bet in, I think it makes more sense to raise the turn here. I think even like a bad regular will see that it put out a, you know, one card open-ended straight draw and a flush draw and can likely figure that we would raise the turn with all of our nines and all of our flush draws. I think we're a lot more likely to to get a call with any type of reasonable raise size, even on like the slightly bigger size, um, with pretty much his entire range. Like even if he has a pair of like fours that he decided to bet, if we make it, you know, between twenty five and thirty five, I think we're getting a call a good percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. I could see fours folding, but I, I agree that for the, for the same logic that you just laid out. The raise is, is correct. And that is actually exactly what Hero did here. Uh, he made it 30, and, you know, that falls right in line with your sizing. That's that's probably what I would have thought to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like that play. So, interesting river card. Wait, so when, uh, when the villain called, I mean, you were at the table, did you observe any live tells or speed or... N- nothing that I can remember. Okay. So, so villain called... So now the pot, it's like, we got 78, but we'll take out some for rake. So, so river's $75, $75 going to the river. And, uh, what's the river card? Uh, the case 10. Oh. Yeah. Good for, good for hero. <laughs> yeah, so if we, well, I mean, it's good for us, in, considering we have the nuts, although, you know, the, the part of villain's range that we were probably going to get the most value from now you know, is eliminated. So, uh, yeah. well, you know, you might think, of course, he, well, then we know he never had that, but, you know, that's, it's not, well, it's an interesting card, because now any of his 
pairs are, are a full house, and whether or not that improves villain's range over our range, we haven't talked a whole lot about our perceived range. Mm. I guess a villain could consider the fact that, you know, we could have had some straights mm-hmm. uh, in our range that now all of his pairs are beating. Yeah. So maybe this makes villain feel more confident about, you know, his lower type hands. Just as a, you know, as a bluff catcher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that could be good for getting more value. But it, I, I think most of the time, though, while this card is good for us in the sense that, you know, we have the nuts, it's bad in that, yeah, the part of the range we were going to try to get max value from doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And I think while sometimes a villain like this can level themselves into calling a decent-sized bet with just an 8, uh, or even a worse pair, I think most of the time they're going to reluctantly fold with no history, you know? Mm. Yeah, I agree. Well, luckily for us, Villain uh, leads out for 50. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I remember when this bet happened, I was really surprised. And I, I was, you know, I read it as strength, but it didn't make sense. You know, just because a story doesn't make a lot of sense from a player like this, you know, in my experience, any kind of aggression from someone of this guy's age... Especially when that aggression is for a larger dollar amount, even if it, the pot doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. You, know, you, you have to sort of exploitively weigh it towards strong hands. Yeah, I mean, if I was at the table observing this, I would think this guy has a 10 100% of the time. We know that he doesn't because yeah. of, we're, you know, we know Hero's hand. But uh, definitely in live poker, if you see someone check the flop, bet small and call the turn, and then when quads are possible, you know, one, a one card to quads are possible on the river and they make a big donk bet, that's normally the nuts in my experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any type of thing like that, you know, it kind of just screams like, oh, I slow played something and now I'm realizing I can't get <laughs> a lot of money, so I'm just going to, like, bet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, naturally Aaron is going to raise here, but before, I mean, we should obviously range... Yeah. villain to try and figure out sizing. Uh, I Do you think he's ever completely bluffing here? You know, there's so few combinations I can think of that make sense that I... Yeah. That you almost feel like he has to be bluffing some amount of the time. But that's not actually good logic. You know, just because we see this bet that we can't assign very many hands or value hands to doesn't mean that we should assume bluffs are present in the range. Uh, yeah, definitely with live poker, if something doesn't make sense, especially at like the one two one three level, and like you feel like it has to be a bluff, it's generally some type of weirdly weirdly slow played value hand. Uh, so the thing is here is like you know it doesn't really make sense for a villain to to bet out with with any of his you know hands that don't have a ten in them, even yeah like you know we don't think he. He, like, slow-played queens, kings, and aces on the flop, but, you know, let's say he slow-played jacks full. Doesn't make much sense to bet that out here. Doesn't make sense to bet out eights full. Um, eights full is tens full, too. Oh, yeah, my bad. So it doesn't <coughs> make sense to bet out jacks full or any of his worst pairs that he happened to get to there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that he wouldn't do it. I would guess when I see this bet, if I knew that he didn't have you know, a 10 because I had a 10 in my hand, I would think that 
he probably had two eights or two jacks in his hand, and now just kind of is mad at the ten and is just kind of betting because he used to have a really good hand. Mm-hmm. I think that's even. I think putting eights in that is a, honestly a little spewy, or mm-hmm. too spewy to give this guy because we can. I mean, we have a lot of jacks in our range. Yeah, and so I, I think that people are smart enough not to, you know, lose money in such. Uh, an obscene way. But honestly, in this spot, eights are pretty much the same as jacks, right? No. Uh, what hand can he bet out there that doesn't contain a 10? Like, for value and really get called by worse? Uh, I guess if... I mean, I think if we had a jack, I don't know if we would call this bet. Yeah. Uh, I personally would never call that bet. It depends on if he isn't thinks that we have... Uh, a hand like queens in our range here, we obviously don't. Well, yeah, but he may not be thinking that, and he he probably isn't thinking about our range very much at all. No, definitely this is not. Probably, rec- I mean, it's a recreational player playing one three. Yeah. So you know, with the conclusion that there's not you know really any hands that should taking this line, uh, and we have the ten to be the nuts. Uh, I think we just have to assume that. Villain is either overplaying his or is overplaying his hand either uh, because he doesn't understand how strong his hand is. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we just have to assume that villain is overplaying his hand because he doesn't realize how strong it is, you know, relative to our ranges at this point. Yeah. So we raise, of course, with the nuts, and I think. So let's talk about sizing here. So we started the hand with two seventy five, and now we've both put in thirty eight. Yeah, thirty eight. So, yeah, we, so we have 240, roughly 240 behind. Yeah. You know, I th- I think that at first that definitely feels big. What feels big? 240. You mean um, raising to 240? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a large bet. But I think that if if we're, you know, assuming that Villain is overvaluing his hand, then we might as well go for it. Yeah. I mean, definitely... Um, in my experience, when you're making a river raise like this, it looks very strong. Um, and villain's calling range is going to be very inelastic. So I think he's going to level himself into a call with whatever hand he had. If he's going to call, whether we make it 150 or, you know, 240, and I think in this particular spot, because no one, you pretty much are never raising here with anything but a 10 or a bluff, then I think to some villains, we don't know enough about this guy, but making it even bigger could induce more calls. Uh, but I think it's safe to assume it will probably induce about a similar amount of calls, and if that's true, then I think the bigger sizing is good. And even though it's an overbet, I, I would definitely raise this all in for value all day. I also do know that. I, I usually, whether it's because of my, you know, likely looser play than your friend here, or just because of the kind of action I seem to induce, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm always going all in here, but maybe there there are some players with different images where you're going to get significantly more calls when you min raise or something. Like, you know, I could definitely see this villain if he's overplaying a value hand, maybe like calling all min raises and folding to like all big raises. So mm-hmm. I think there's value in like a basically a min raise, 
or a very small, like very small raise, like not more than one ten, uh, or then going going all in, and in some ways making it like one fifty, like between one fifty and two hundred, I would think looks even stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know. So either villain when we make this raise is going to accurately interpret his hand as a bluff catcher, and then. You know, assess the likelihood we're bluffing mm-hmm. uh, compared to the pot odds. Whether or not, you know, he, and honestly, whether or not he's thinking of it in those terms, that is the sort of, uh, if there is thinking going on, the type of thinking that's going on, uh, even if it's not accurately or sufficiently mathematical mm-hmm. in its nature. Or he's not going to consider his hand a bluff catcher and he'll call, which, you know, is a great outcome. So I guess whatever I guess we think depending on how often we think he's going to cr- correctly interpret his hand as a bluff catcher, uh, we should think, considering that ratio, what is going to look um, most bluffy compared to the value we get. Yeah. And then I think, you know, with that metric, it's, it's a clear all-in. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, so, Hero made it 180, which we, we agreed wasn't the best sizing because... It's not getting max value when Villain doesn't interpret his hand as a bluff catcher mm-hmm. and does not look particularly bluffy one way or another to Villain. So I, I don't agree with the sizing. Fortunately, uh, after a, a, a seriously long tank, Villain calls with Jack's full. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he had said after the hand that he got pretty close to letting it go, but he didn't. Uh, so it, it definitely, you know, he said that if my, my friend had gone all in, that he might've folded or that he probably would have folded. That's bullshit. But yeah. People you say that's yeah. the table all the time. So I, I still like our play. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess I think we should have, we both think we should have bet the flop. We like the turn play as played. Uh, and then on the river an all in rather than, uh, the sort of pseudo all in bet, let's say. Yeah, and then just quickly from, you know, looking at the hand from Villain's perspective, you know, I, I think he misplayed this severely on every street. Uh, pre-flop, he should make it bigger, have a bigger standard raise size, and if, he's, if he is going to have a non-standard, you know, raise size, he should raise bigger with his more premium hands. You know, there's very few players that are going to exploit that at a 1-3 table. Making it 8 with jacks is just, it's just too small to mm-hmm. get the max value and start building the pot with the fourth best spart- starting hand. You know, I think there's maybe some merit to checking the flop, but uh, especially if you think the, you know, your opponent's going to be very aggressive and bet two, bet one, check two on the button. But I think generally not slow playing is, is good advice, and it the only time it really makes sense to slow play is if you, you know, think uh, your opponent will do something, like, very exploitably wrong, like just bet way too much, bet their entire range when check two on the flop. And, you know, it's clear that he didn't have the information to make that assumption yet. So flops a bet, turn should be bigger sizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily mind just calling the turn, but then on the river, I mean, it's Jack's full is just a clear, is a bluff catcher there. Yeah, it's a clear check call. Yeah, I I would check call against, you know, someone's raising range there, given that they can have a lot of you know, yeah, it's a good check call. It's a check call you should feel, you know, confident about. Yeah. But it's not a bet. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you're saying, so I think this is a wrap. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode. Uh, we're really excited to continue, and we hope you'll subscribe to us on iTunes and check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We also just launched our website, JustHandsPoker.com. On the website, you could find a write-up for every episode of the podcast. So if you go on right now, you can see uh, the hand history that we discussed today. And there will be a comment section, so feel free to join the discussion. And if you, you know, disagree with any part of our analysis, uh, please let us know. And you know, we hope to keep a lively, strategic conversation going. You can also visit the site to get further information about private coaching. I currently work with a variety of players, some complete beginners and others who have been playing for years and looking to take their game to the next level. Uh, If you'd be interested in one-on-one or group coaching in person in the Cleveland area or over Skype anywhere around the world, uh, please check out justhandspoker.com backslash coaching. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next Tuesday for our next episode, and we'll see you then.